Good morning, Interweb. Welcome back to the Artifexian podcast in this month's episode. Bill and I, we've hit it big by making it into literature. TM. Bill is convinced of this whole proto-lang thing. It's dark times on Icairn, as we hear an account from captivity. Like, seriously dark, you have been warned. Oh, and I, like an idiot, forget to turn on my mic for the latter half of the show. <sighs> Fool of a talk. All that, plus lots more in this month's episode. Begin. Gentlemen, start your shows. Um, Irish, Bill. Uh, a perennial topic on this show. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd mentioned a while back that uh, I want to ha- get Irish, go to Irish classes, go to Kirkel Cora conversation circles. Um, I have been in an effort to like up- upskill my Irish because my Irish is pretty crap at the moment. Um, so I have been working on Duolingo on the main channel's patron live streams on Fridays. Um, it's been going fine. Duolingo obviously is a load of fun, but it's you're never actually going to become very competent in a language using just Duolingo, particularly on the Irish course. Um, so it was like, it is time. I went ahead. I booked some lessons. So not a Kierkegaard, but actual like lessons, lessons on a site called italki that is occurring tomorrow. And I am nervous as all hell. That's exciting. <laughs> but yeah, it, it, it should be good. It should be good. Uh, and I'm I'm trying to like come up with um, the couple fuckle, the couple of words um, to do as a bit of intro spiel because I can kind of introduce myself and I can kind of say... I'm here because I find Duolingo um, too easy. Um, I want to learn how to have a conversation. I can kind of say that, and I'm debating whether or not I should actually um, practice that or just go in go in um, unprepared. But yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Fun times. Cool. Yeah. So is that in person or online or? That is online. Online. Very good. Um, I don't know of any... Irish classes in person around here. Um, mm-hmm. So, and, and I, I worry as well that, I, I don't know how it's, it's going to go, but I worry it's it's going to be an actual lesson, lesson, um, in that, like, let's now conjugate our verbs, children, um, as opposed to just, can you just, can we just try and talk Irish? You keep talking Irish at me, I'll give back what I got, and over time I will just, by osmosis, take this in. Like, that's kind of what I'm looking for, and less of, like, you know, pedantry. Um mm a more naturalistic language learning experience. So I'm hoping I can get that. We'll see tomorrow even. I'll keep you all informed and expect there to be more Gaelga dropped on the show uh, every so often because of that. Because we had some feedback before. People were like, oh, it's really cool you two speaking Irish a little bit. We shall do more of that, I think. Or at least I will. Um, yeah, so that is that. Is that. Uh, first point. Second point uh, of follow-up, I guess, um, Vowels are fake, Bill. We all know this. You've 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 evangelized this for everyone. Yeah. Um. You slash you slash Rec Jensen, frequent contributor to the show, um, said that there's a really great video by a chap called Doctor Jeff Lindsay, the vowel space, which kind of talks about the sort of the squishiness of, of vowels. Uh, I bring this up purely to say that uh, this Jeff Lindsay guy, he's been um, continuously recommended to me of late. Um. Really good channel. Very, very good channel. Um, and I would encourage any language nerds to go check them out. Um, there, If you give me a second, I'm going to pull up the channel and give you a, uh, a an array of some of the most popular titles to see does it catch, um, does it catch your 
uh, I. Hold on. Hold on. Popular. Um, he has one here comparing William's speech and Harry's speech and why the accents are so different. Um, as, sorry, as in the princes. The, the princess, yes. Yes, the princess, yes. Um, weak forms in English. Why don't you sound like a native? Uh, why some people say strong and truth. Um, hard attack. How English is getting more choppy. English speech rhythms. Um, ejective consonants in English. More analysis of the king's speech. I think there, this is a video on uh, African-American vernacular English. Is AAVE, correct? And yeah. just... Lots of stuff like this, and it's really, it's really fun. It's really informative. Um, yeah, I would strongly encourage language nerds if you haven't already seen him, go check him out. Dr. Jeff Lin- Lindsay, links in the show note. Cool S- show notes. <laughs> and then the final point on my end, uh, before I flip it on over to you, Bill, is the origin of Gazette. This comes from you slash Generalitary. I think this is the second show in a row they've made an appearance. Mm-hmm. Um, they, I'll just quote what they said. Quote, on the topic of broadsheets, if I'm not mistaken, the term was originally derisive, derisive. Um, the idea being that news agents were putting any nonsense into their productions to fill up the huge sheet of paper they had to print every day. Sort of like how people feel about 24-hour uh, news networks now. Didn't know that. It tracks. Makes sense. Um, I appreciate the term pump. This is in reference to your work last month, Bill, as a sort of metaphor for the news dissemination process. It reminds me how how the word gazette derives from the Italian word from magpie based on the idea that it's a cluster of vaguely interesting information packed together in one publication, like a magpie's nest. Um, That was fascinating to me, the magpie thing. I went and looked. I'm really sorry, you slash generality, but according to Wiktionary, that's not the etymology of it. It actually comes from um, from like a small treasure uh, derived from little coin and back to the ancient Greek, um, meaning, I think, copper, um, something like that. There's no actual magpie in it, unless Wiktionary is wrong. But I bring this up purely to point out, not to be like, you're wrong, but more like, this is one of those great cases where... Being wrong is a wonderful source of conlang fodder. I love mm. when this happens where I'm like, oh, this thing, it comes from this thing. And then it turns out that's not correct. And I'm like, I have a new pathway. This is awesome. <laughs> so so congratulations, you slash generality. Assuming Wiktionary is not erroneous, um, you now have something that you can go plug into uh, a conlang somewhere. Fair play to you. And, and even like, you know, folk, inaccurate folk etymologies can still be evocative and entertaining and... Yeah, 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 for sure. And, and again, it's working on the assumption that Wiktionary is in fact yeah, correct. Sure. Um, and it also working on the assumption that like um, Wiktionary is complete because again, um, uh, deriving from things like a coin of little value, treasure, etc. That may have also been used in the context of a magpie's nest. Um, but it's just not being listed here on Wikipedia. So, you know, you slash general, generalitary may not even be incorrect here. It may not even be a folk etymology. Um, we just don't know. But we've all learned something. Different pathways to get to naming uh, newspaper publications. Wonderful. Um, those are my three points, Bill. What have you got for follow-up? Um, uh, we got an email a little while ago from a guy called Hans Barnard. Mm-hmm. who is an archaeologist in UCLA, and he sent us an extract of a book that he uh, contributed to and edited 
called Archaeology Outside the Box. Bill, um, I have no recollection of this email and I'm really intrigued as to where this is going. What is the relevance of this and the Artifacts Scene podcast? Uh, well, I'm going to uh, get to that via a sort of a circuitous route. Oh, take us on a journey, Bill. <laughs> um <laughs> So, as I said, he's an archaeologist, and he talks a little bit um, in one of these uh, chapters here um, in this book, one, one of the ones that he wrote, about uh, the concept of uh, multivocality, which is that an object can mean different things and can evoke different responses. Uh, a single object can evoke different things and, and, and different responses from various people. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's like a thing in that's a, a concept in archaeology that the you know, objects can can have multiple meanings. Um, but he's talking. He proposes a term here called autovocality, which is to mean the narrative of the author prompted by one or more objects. So they're you know, kind of making it the the making the discipline a little bit more personally focused. The way that you've got like autoethnographies and sociology and things. Um, but anyway, he goes on about this and. Uh, turns it into world building that when he was um when he was young he was growing up in a rural island in the north of the netherlands and him and some friends he and some friends came up with a a fictional setting uh called the is it the caribbean empire kayenian empire kayenian empire and that they would actually they built um artifacts relating to this culture and invented a new mathematical system or like the, they, oh. they worked on base six instead of um instead of base 10 and he, he delves into the music um how they designed their keyboards for a different musical system uh real fascinating stuff so Whoa. it's kind of like world building as a sort of inverted archaeology um in his case that he was you know instead of finding the objects and constructing the narrative out of them to learn about the past, you have the narrative, and then he was building the objects and the material culture from this fictional setting, which I think is a fascinating concept. Mm. Um, but uh, if I can just read out one of the footnotes here from this chapter, um, when talking about examples of kind of secondary worlds. Um, I see where this is going, and I'm very excited. You see where this is going, yeah. I do. Um, Apart from the well-known commercial examples, there are several examples of artists who created imaginary countries or cultures to function as a framework for their work, including the mythical world in which Richard Wagner placed most of his operas, the imaginary Fook Island where most of the works of South African artist Walter Baltus allegedly originated, the artefacts from a nameless island with a capital named Onomatopoeia, created by Scottish artist Charles Avery, and in a way, also the poems that J.M.W. Turner wrote to complement or name some of his paintings. So those are kind of smaller, kind of more um, marginal, less considered examples of world building. But in a footnote to that paragraph, he says, Of note here are also the instructional videos on world building, creating fictional worlds to learn more about the world that we actually live in, by Edgar Grunwald, uploaded onto YouTube since February 2014 under the alias Artifexian. His series of podcasts made together with Bill McGrath and his TEDx presentation at the University of Strathclyde. So we're, we're in the academic record, Edgar. Jesus, that is, that is, 
absolutely mental. That is, is that cool? I, I'm so happy with this. Do we, do you know if we've permission to share this, this chapter? Um, I do not know. Um, I might, I might put a screen grab of just the footnote, maybe. Yeah. Um, just, just for the sake of visuals. Um, but that is, that is so cool. I, I don't want to dwell on me here because that's really like, you know, self-serving or us. It's really self-serving. The, the, the idea of this kind of like, um you know, stories from artifacts or artifacts from stories, that's kind of cool in that like it's all very cyclical, do you know? So I get, I, I, I have an image here of Bernard when he was a young lad um off making these artifacts and they're now strewn somewhere. And eventually they'll get buried, and then later some archaeologist will come <laughs> and find these things and and construct a narrative based off these artifacts that were constructed off a narrative. Like the whole thing is just like cyclical. I think that that is, that is pretty cool. Um, Actually, he kind of addresses that in in this chapter. Oh no way! Um, can you can you paraphrase? Uh, I'll just I'll just read it out. I have it I have it saved here. Um, so. There, there was like a, a group of them that that would publish or would would collect the stuff they they'd written about this this setting, um, and he says at the end of nineteen ninety one, I collected copies of all these publications into a single bound volume comprising seventy five pages and took this with me to the archaeological project in Kasir Ibrim on the eastern shore of Lake Nasser in the Egyptian Nubian desert. One Friday, I walked into the desert beyond the archaeological remains climbed one of the many flat-topped hills and placed the book, supported and protected by rocks, in a natural niche. This monument of the Kianian Empire would be considered one of the least accessible libraries in the world. It also constitutes a future archaeological find from an imaginary culture, in a way rendering it tangible. <laughs> that is brilliant. Isn't that wonderful? <laughs> that is so wonderful. Oh, that is so cool. I... I love this. This is, this, this is, it's bad. It is unreal that our, our reach is, you know, not insignificant. Unreal that this is the course my life has taken. Incredible. Also unreal that I've been uploading since 2014. That means next year. That means in, I think about six, seven months is my 10 year anniversary doing this. Yeah, we Ten... don't care about that though. We care about the 12 year anniversary. That's right. Cut that. Never happened. No, no. You never... Leave that in. Come on, that's funny. No, no, I know. That's, but I made it even more funny by saying cutting it, you know? <laughs> we are very um, professional. We are very professional. You know, we're so professional. We make it into the literature. Very good. Um, Bernard, thank you. That's class. Um, yes, thank, thank you very much for that. That, that, was, that, that is, was, it was a really interesting read. Um, yeah, I, I, go, go, go find that email again and, and, and read through it. It was, it was, it was quite something. Uh, no, I, I gave a very, very uh, brief rundown of what was in what was in the chapter, but it was cool. And Bernard, if if you can email us, let us know if um, we can uh, disseminate uh, the attachment in the email. Um, I can always like uh, retroactively put in the show notes. So even if you get back to us after it's gone live, you know we can stick it back in. Um, okay, Hans Bernard, Bernard. confusing. Barnard, sorry, Barnard, confusing future archaeologists. Done? <laughs> yeah, done. Yeah. Uh, I see here there's a proto-langing section. How are okay. you feeling, Bill? <laughs> yeah, let's let's do it. Let's do it. Okay, let's do it. So the, uh, the first thing I want to, I want to open with here is uh, since we recorded the last episode, in fact, just after we recorded the last episode, we had a pretty productive conversation where you clarified a few things for me. 
Do you want to give people the really quick spiel, though, in case they're just joining in? So, we were talking about um, proto-langing uh, as a means of conlang. So, coming up with a proto-language and then evolving it. And that's... I didn't get the, the logic behind this. I didn't understand the point of it. Um, and one of the things that you said to me then off air last month was that the, the proto-lang isn't a fully realized language. It's, it's, it's more like a collection of linguistic features that you then evolve into a, into a full language, into the full conlang. Sure. Yeah. So it's not like, um, the, the, the kind of analogy I was trying to work on here to, to make more sense of this internally was it's not like you're dealing with French and, you know, if you want to make French, you have to invent Latin first. It's if you want to make French, you you come up with a series of pre-French, pre-French features um, rather than the, the entirety of Latin. Yeah. Yeah, okay. that, that's, I, I, I think at the risk of muddying the waters, I think I might refine that ever so slightly. Okay. Uh, if you want to make French, mm-hmm. all you need to know about Latin is that which made it made its way into modern French. So like there, there's likely a whole bunch of things that Latin was doing that just were lost on its way to French or got collapsed. Those we don't care about. You only look back to what, to the, to the originator of what made it into into French in the, under this analogy. And that is precisely what you said. In so doing, you never have a proto-lang that is a fully fleshed out language with its own reference grammar. Everything's been taught of, etc. Um, so I'm, I'm totally with you, but I, I would refine it that way a little bit. Okay. Does that trip you up? <laughs> I, I, I'm not sure what, what you changed. Well, I, the wording pre-French... Um, I just just maybe feel weird in terms of analogy. I was like, you actually are looking at Latin, but you just, in the conlang sense, don't treat Latin as a fully formed uh, thing. You only look at the, its features um, that have influence on French. Pre, the, the notion pre-French seems to imply that there's like a like an in-between sort of stage and you're only looking at that and you don't care about Latin. It just made the analogy a bit weird to me. Okay. Um, yeah. And would it be fair to say that the the features of the proto-lang don't necessarily have to be kind of uh, contemporary to each other. That like the regular, the regularity of the f- phonetic inventory or whatever, um, it presumably existed at some point in the past, but that doesn't necessarily have to be in, in the same time period or in the same like process of the language evolution as the regularity of the verbs or, or whatever. It like it doesn't have to be a single thing. As it's a collection of features that didn't necessarily go together. Yeah, I I think I know what you mean, and I think so. I I think cool. I I would again I would frame this as um, it it is time is very is a bit of a nebulous concept when conlanging. Yeah. Um, so it's not like we would ever say something like oh well you know verbs became regular at like eight hundred BC. And then something before that. Do you know what I mean? Like, you, you, it, time is very mushy. So things can exist at different times, etc. We don't really care unless it has any mad lasting ramification. Uh, so yeah, yes, that, so that's, that's, that's kind of what I, w- what I was getting at. Yeah, yeah. So yes, I agree with that. Okay. Um, we 
had some stuff to clear up about um, analytic as well, which I which analytical I, languages. Analytical languages, yes, which I kind of get, but not sure I fully get. Okay, um, talk to me. So there was a comment in um, one of the in in the last episode actually. Uh, talking about this exact topic, uh, a comment on YouTube from, let me get this name correct, um, Chukar 676 Oh, I just called them Crazy Chukar. <laughs> Crazy Chukar. <laughs> and in addressing my uh, reservations about the concept, uh, Crazy Chukar says, it's about creating a simple, perfectly regular and fully analytical language with textbook simple phonotactics and regular phonetic inventory. Only from there do you create any grammatical changes and mess with the phonology, creating naturalistic irregularities, naturalistic irregularities, phonotactics, etc. This doesn't address my concern at all. Sure. Um, because my, my concern was not like... My concern is that the, the, this the kind of presupposition that's being presented here that you only are evolving, that o only analytical languages will evolve into anything. Okay, well, that's that's not a presupposition that's being made here. That's how it reads to me. Okay, because so th this is moderately, I think this is somewhat controversial. People have shouted at me uh, on the internet about this opinion. So... Uh, I, I don't understand why this isn't fact, uh, but, or why people don't view this as fact, but um, my view of languages is that they're like cyclical, right? And if we broadly define them as being analytical, agglutinative, and fusional, I realize it's a spectrum. There's four further degradations one can do within that, but just for the sake of this framework, those three things. Analytical languages think uh, Chinese, um, few, uh, agglutinative languages think um, Hungarian, Turkish, uh, fusional languages think uh, Spanish, for example, right? Um, okay. It's not that analytical languages like Chinese turn into languages like um, Turkish exclusively. It's that it goes analytical, agglutinative, fusional, analytical, agglutinative, fusional in a big circle. So everything is like kind of just chucking on down the, the, the line, so to speak, if that makes sense. I think so. You think so. So <laughs> when you're doing this, you're assuming that there was a an analytical language at some point in the past, and you're taking that as your arbitrary starting point. Correct. Yeah. Okay. That was what was missing from the, the explanations I was getting so far. Yeah. Uh, now, obviously, with everything, there's no 100% right answer. There may be instances where you may want your protolang to do something different. But in general, the idea is that you just assume it's like this perfectly analytical language. Um, and again, the reason for that is that a perfect, a perfect analytical language uh, won't have any complex um, like uh, morphology, like inflections and things like that. So starting from a point where there's like zero stuff going on makes sense because you can then combine things to create the uh, to create the forms you see in the modern lang. Okay, that has cleared up a lot for me. Okay, good. That it's it's good. a it's a cyclical thing. Yeah. So between it between it being kind of cyclical and it being not a, a fully realized language, I get this a lot more than I did last month. Excellent. Like, I, I get link. the justification for doing it this way a lot, lot better than I did last month. 
Excellent. I'll leave a link to or M W Dixon, the Wikipedia page on that cyclical nature. If someone wants to, like we have linguists in chat, if any linguists want to shout at me about uh why this would be incorrect, I I say shout that that was that was Just um, type in all caps. Type, type, do type, explain. When I need things explained to me, it must be done in all caps. But do talk to me, because again, I've received pushback for like having this view and I don't really understand why there would be a pushback. Like it's it's in the literature and it makes sense just from a like evolution standpoint why things are going this order. So any linguist wish to clarify things here for me, please do. Um, The other thing we'll say before we move on is it's important through all this discussion of like, Protolang, why, and and what starting points and things like that. Remember, the, the key thing we're after here, the whole reason we're doing this historical thing, <clears throat> um, and the, the driving point behind it is that the, when, the idea of picking a starting point and evolving forward, um, the process of evolution um, creates natural irregularities, and it, it creates a, um, what was it, internally consistent language a naturalistic internally consistent language and that's what we're after so i I just want to put that out there again in case we're getting lost in like why analytical why not something else that's almost a side point that the key thing here is the process of evolution brings us naturalism and that's what we're after just to state that again um proto-langing done for now for now (laughs) we're going to hear more about it in a second anyways but first we have to do story time world building world building world building this episode is a pretty direct follow-up on some of last episode's um developments Uh, as a quick reminder to folks last episode was what last episode um was a preprint newspaper article about uh, the crushing of the rebellion in Lansk. Mm-hmm. The, the, for, for new listeners, my, my setting is undergoing a sort of a civil uh, strife and sort of labor dispute. And mm-hmm. one of the cities, uh, a district was taken over by, by activists. Um, and last episode, we we saw how they were planning to crush this. Cool. All right. And so we have a direct follow-up. Let's go. This is a prison. The bailiffs and companies are lying. When they broke the barricades, they rounded up the population of the district. We were gathered by marines and bailiffs and taken away to the depot where they are holding us still. Those who resisted or tried to escape were beaten. I saw some killed. We were interrogated for hours. I was beaten before a crowd of other prisoners, for prisoners is what we are, until those who assisted the agitators confessed. I confessed my own collaboration, hoping to spare others from the humiliation I received. Our captors threw me aside and picked another to attend to. For the crime of having swept the streets, for unloading food at the docks, I have been beaten and detained, and I feel sure I will not step outside these walls again. We have seen the broadsheets printed on the outside, and they are lying. We in these camps are not being rehoused. We have not been attended to by physicians. 
we have been beaten and subjected to all indignity. They write that the agitators and their collaborators are being turned to the bailiffs for trial, but none have left, and every day new bodies arrive. They say these arrests are ringleaders, firebrands, cutthroats, but I know them as peaceful people. One who swept the roads as I did, another who baked bread, another who was of an Urthani father. To call our lodgings a tent would be too grand. It is a sheet held aloft, open on one side facing the guard post. We are chained together, five of us, and all of us to a stake set in the centre of the tent. We spend the day digging, I know not what, and we sleep uneasily at night, for the noise and the lights of the depot keep us awake. Today I saw a guard kill a prisoner. He was not trying to escape. He did not raise his fists. He... Written on diverse scraps of materials, recovered from an inmate in tent 6B during security sweep. Inmate has been recommended for punitive labor. Jesus, Bill. Oh, that's a. Uh, there's no banter to be had here. That's grim. <laughs> M- might this be your most directly sort of depressing uh, work thus far? Because I know, I know it's always kind of like look at the tyranny of capitalism and you know corporate greed and um, mercantile, I guess, colonialism or mercantile imperialism. But it's all that's all very kind of like removed. It's not very interpersonal. But this is like lots of beating, starvation, treated like animals. This this might be your most heavy one so far. I should have issued a trigger warning. <laughs> sorry, <laughs> <laughs> sorry. I mean, look, look. If this is if this is what happens, what happen? And there's nothing wrong with obviously uh, extremely dark stuff. It's just that uh, there is a, and I think actually this is good. It's good that there's this like hard tone shift because like um. This shouldn't be a bunch of crack. Like, um, there is there is violence happening here, and mm-hmm. work should reflect that. Um, it shouldn't be like Pokemon, where like extreme violence is occurring, but it's all just fun and games, you know. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the uh, give me a rundown. I'll ask you questions after. So this is an account from someone who is behind the barricades in Lansk. And what happened to them after the insurrection was crushed by the by the bailiffs and the the companies, um, and it's written. You can see it's in kind of three sections. Uh, it was written just like on kind of whatever she had to hand and whatever she could hide, um, but as we see at the end, it was it was discovered and it was confiscated. So this this writing was 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 found by the the, the guards. Oh, so these asterisks you have here, um, they don't represent like redacted stuff or anything. No, that's as no. in like the first bit is written on like one scrap and the other bit is kind of, I don't know, scratched into a piece of wood or something or a piece of cloth that she was able to hide. And the third bit is on another bit of material. And then at, at so, the very end, uh, sorry, when you say, um, today I saw a guard kill a prisoner, 
He was not trying to escape. He did not raise his fists. He, and then it just cuts off mid-sentence. Is that mm. like ran out of room or someone snatched the the thing off the person? She was interrupted um, while writing it is okay. what I was going for. Cool, cool. Um, that's also another one of those powerful bill endings where your brain goes, oh, wait a minute. It was like, did someone come up to her and just like, you know, shoot her in the back of the head or something mid-sentence? Uh, your brain goes to... Uh, the worst case scenario there when information is not made explicit. That's cool. I like it. Um, sorry, I interrupted you. More synopsis. Go. We have met this character before. <gasps> I was going to ask that. I was <laughs> going to ask that because you said she and I was like, wait a minute. We had a she in Lansk fairly recently. And I wonder mm-hmm. is that, th- I don't remember her name or what she did, but I just remember it was a she. And I wonder is this the same she? Hmm? Ulna. Ulna. Uh, is that a word that we have in our word list for the Abeski line, Bill? Pretty sure. Hold on. You continue with your synopsis. I'm checking. Yeah, it's there. Yeah. Oh, geez, you She's, bet. Um, so, yeah, she wrote a letter to her mother uh, oh, while behind the barricades. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, she was, uh, she worked in a Devint factory. Um, and then when that shut down due to the, the, insurrection she um was just kind of like doing various manual labor and loading ships and street sweeping and things um and in the mass arrests she has been gathered up and is being uh, detained in a makeshift prison in a company depot in a company depot oh mm-hmm. that would make sense the part where you said and taken away to the depot would imply mm-hmm. that's in the company depot because one of my questions is going to be like why are they housing them in tents are there not houses behind the barricade but yes they were taken away so oh, so effectively they've been just moved to a sort of internment camp yeah like a concentration camp sort of thing um in, in the little literal sense that they are being concentrated there not not as in a death camp yeah 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 for sure for sure like like the um the Japanese American uh yeah. concentration camps that sort of thing Sure. Um, yeah. I, I don't, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, so I'm assuming this is being, sorry, I'm already asking questions now, but I'm assuming this is being done uh, because they just need to, uh, from their perspective, they just want to remove all the bad apples, get them off site in one place where they can systematically try and um, get rid of them or deal with them. I'm assuming that's what, why there's this exodus of people from the area. Uh, yes. Uh, also, just kind of a general terror tactic um, for anyone who was in any way connected at all that they, they will be punished. Like, not, not even actual ringleaders or anything, just anyone who, who went along at all. Um, and a general tech terror tactic to show that if agitation is is allowed, um, it will harm everyone. We, we, will, we will take it out on all of you. Okay, and then, yeah, that's why they're going around beating people who aren't active um, rebels, so to speak. Like this, this, this yeah. girl here who's just, you know, working. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. And there's um, a veneer of kind of deniability about it as well. That's why, like, the broadsheets are giving a false idea of, of, of what was happening, what the purpose of these um, of these these camps for, like, rehousing the people who were behind the barricades are for. Um but it's kind of, they're, they're keeping up that sort of facade, but also allowing people to kind of know what's actually going on subtly. So is this, is the idea here that um, 
last week it w- we got the news that they were going to move in. Mm-hmm. The the companies were going to move on the barricades. Yeah. Um. And so here they have moved in the barricades. Do I take it then like there was great violence, lots of property destruction, and they are using that as a sort of like, well, we we wrecked the homes. These people need to be removed and rehoused. Well, that we the didn't sort wreck of, the homes. The those dastardly agitators did. Uh, sure, sure, sure. But the, but there was like, and so there. The girl is the kernel of truth to this sort of uh, spin that there was a property destruction. Ergo, people do need to be rehoused, but we're going to use that to justify an internment camp, basically. Uh, that would be part of it. Also, like an infrastructure damage that you know the not just that the houses were destroyed, but that like conditions were so terrible, um, that we you know we can't deal with people there. We need to take them out of those terrible conditions and, and find them somewhere new to go. Sure, sure, sure. Um, cool, very cool. Um, the you have a line here. I'm sorry. Again, I've just transitioned into asking questions, so we'll just go for it. That's fine. Um, one who swept the roads as I did. Another who baked bread. Another who was of an Arthani fodder. This is people who uh, were arrested, um, yeah. or abused, etc. And who, who um, she recognizes as kind of. Uh, they're they're fresh people who've been brought in since she she was there. They're they're like kind of new arrivals who've been arrested in the aftermath, not like the immediate aftermath, but like in the in the days and weeks afterwards. And she recognizes them from just being around and knows that they weren't um, ringleaders and that they weren't agitators. They were just kind of getting on with things. Oh, uh, fresh arrivals in the sense of it's taking the companies a while to get everyone out of the barricades, or are we going for like hey? Well, we have this internment camp. Let's just start rounding up people left, right, and centre from all quarters. So when when the the barricades came down, not like it wasn't the entire population was was arrested immediately. Uh, large amounts of it were, but some people got away. Um, some people slipped through the cracks, uh, and this is they have like investigated in the aftermath and they've asked around and like the, the information they beat out of people that they had arrested were like, okay, well, you know, who else was collaborating? And someone goes, it was Bill. So they go and oh, arrest yeah. Bill. Yeah. yeah, That's fair. That's fair. That's fair. Um, uh, the Arthani fodder stuff is, is just particularly, um, grim and horrible. Um, yeah, yeah. you know, the notion of just, you know, who your ancestor is or, or again, we talked about, there's no real, like, um, Visual difference between these people, not like as in like dark skin, light skin, etc. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. I mean, like you know, you you could you could tell sure. that they were that they they were like different heritages, but it's not as as direct as like a skin color or something like that. No, the difference between a Swede and a Scot, you can tell, but they're white. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah. Um. But the but it plays on this idea of just you know who, who how you look. Um, you're guilty because of you look a certain way and that's really horrible and yeah holds a, a lens to a lot of stuff that goes on in the actual in in IRL you know um, the you say here we spend the day digging um, I know not what so they're they're being put to work people <clears throat> in the internment camp um, is this a sort of like is it punitive labor just in the sense of like it's labor for punishment or is there a sort of um are the companies getting something more out of it 
Um, it, do they need to be digging? I said, are they being used as basically slaves for construction work? Or is it, or is it just like, we need holes, make holes, exhaust yourselves, work yourself to death? It's more the latter. It's more just to, to keep them doing something and, and, and tire them out. Um, there, there may be like building you like landing path or like like landing pad or something but um it's it's not the the purpose isn't directly uh, productive here the purpose is to to tire out the prisoners okay and um and that and when they say uh, the last line inmate has been recommended for punitive labor mm-hmm. is that the punitive labor because they've already been engaged in the uh digging um no like, that that'll be like something even worse Something even worse. Any insights into what that would be? Or do, um, is that left up to our imagination to come up with the worst possible scenario? <laughs> yeah, let's... Yeah, for now. <laughs> until I think of one of this. <laughs> God, yeah, that's so grim. Uh, and then, so uh, a final point on my end is, um, what's the... What is the game plan here for, for the companies? Like, what's what's the end goal? Like, it, do you, you you hold a bunch of people in an internment camp you, mm-hmm. you you kill or imprison the people you're actually worried about um hassle others for the sake of optics and then just what like the vast majority just goes home after a bit uh, does that not lead to a scenario where you've just basically radicalized a large like swat of people like surely you'd have to go death camp here to actually uh not have a future problem on your hands what what are the companies thinking I think they're more focused on the immediate. Okay. They're more no thinking. No. Yeah, the the the, the long term hasn't necessarily been um, uh, game planned out to to its full extent yet. Okay, and I guess using the Japanese American example, not that I know massive uh, a lot about it, but um, that sounds like a very short term thinking as well. Like Japan is a problem. Uh, Japan may attack us uh let us take all the people who could act as like inside spies and just remove them but without any thought of what that's going to do um i guess politically down the line Mm -hmm. um so maybe it's maybe that's just part of the whole internment thing like it is a very short-term thing with little to no care for long-term benefits actually yeah um yeah i will say i'm pretty sure they they interned them after they were already at war but still your point your overall point remains okay well and what's the point you said you said they may you know they may attack yes when you were describing the situation but they they like pearl harbor had already happened they were already at war That, that doesn't change anything about the specifics and the morality just yeah you're you're dead right i was thinking more they may like actually mount a land invasion Right, um, right, right, right. As opposed to hassling in in the Pacific, um, mm. but yeah, like just just very, very, very grim. <laughs> I'm just really sad for Ulna. Ulna, did you say? Ulna, yeah, yeah. I'm just very sad for her. And this is oh, this is oh, and then I'm, I'm I'm thinking like maybe this punitive labor, uh, non-zero chance that she might you know die from the stresses of it. And then the mother who she's writing to, like, even if she doesn't die, the mother, if she hears about this, must be in, in uh, just inconsolable. It's very sad for the Ulna family at the moment. It's not very good. Sad. It's not good. It's not it's good not at good. all. Um, although, again, I don't want to be like, here's where the narrative should go. 
But uh, if people had slipped away, potentially if important people had slipped away, there might be a sort of like, this could be a galvanizing event. We might see um, a counter-strike against the um, the internment camp here. A bunch of rebels go like, you know, bollocks to this. And they, they attack that and set people free. That might be cool. Um, mm-hmm. Who knows? Who knows? Who knows? Great work as always, Bill. Love it. Thank you. Anything anything final to uh, sum about it for me? Anything I missed? Uh, no. Let me. Th- I think that's that's all of it. Um, oh well. Um, the the lodgings is a sheet held aloft, open on one side, facing the guard post. I was kind of thinking that they were, um, something like a panopticon that there was like a guard post in the center and all the tents are, are facing inwards towards the guard post and they're always held open. Um, so kind of like Bentham's panopticon design. Um, um, Bentham? You know you know the panopticon prism design? I'm assuming it's, it's what you just explained. Central sort of command tower, everything around it in a circle. Yeah, and like all, all, so it's like a tower in the middle and then uh, like a... a circle of like cells around it facing facing inwards so the guards can see everything from the center <laughs> it was made by it was suggested by a guy called um jeremy bentham okay okay so oh so you're just going for panopticon vibes there yeah it's, it's like yeah. a similar kind of setup i mean it makes sense um, yeah, yeah. From, from there's the, probably from the several um like hubs rather than one large one but you know all built around the guard post mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Grim. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> um, shall we do some con langing? Let's do some con langing. Let's do some con langing. Folks. So, Bill and I just recorded, I don't know, I must say, half an hour? Worth yeah, of- 35, 40 minutes of stuff and then i like an absolute moron uh forgot to hit record on my mic now we had zoom audio but i would not subject you to the zoom audio (laughs) um so we need to re-record what we just did now it's gonna it's gonna be really trite if we actually try to record this again we basically went through picking a whole bunch of sounds. So what Bill and I are going to do is just give you a, a whistle-stop tour of the decisions that were made in the ill-fated recording of 40 minutes ago. Artifacts um, in the lost tapes. The lost tapes, exactly. We are going to describe to you what the recording entailed. <laughs> uh, God bless us all. Okay, so the, <laughs> the first thing first thing we did, I've been working on, oh, again, just to, uh, to line, line this out for everyone, we're working on the Abeski Lang, that is the Lang for the Abeski people in Bill's setting of E. Cairn. Um, we are um, going to do this via the, me- uh, the medium of video, Obviously, you need to write stuff when conlanging. Bill needs to see what I'm doing. So this is best consumed through the YouTube video. I leave links in the show notes to the podcast's channel. Go check it out, etc. Um, so with, with all that preamble, the first thing is that I had been working on putting some tentative sound changes into Lexergy. And actually, it didn't do this first time around, but I need to do this here. Lycan. Lycan is an absolute boss. Um, he would basically no notice sent me a version of of these sound changes because I'm useless at uh, Lexergy and true 
um, reverse engineering Lycan's work, I now think I've finally gotten how to use Lexergy. Um, so Lycan, links in the show notes to his channel. Thanks a million. I, I, you, oh, you are you, educating me. Yeah, it's amazing. And this tool is wonderful. For anyone who doesn't know, it, you write out a bunch of code-like things and then you input some words from a protolang. It goes through the code and then on the right, it gives you the modern versions. So much quicker than doing it by hand. Really worth learning. Great, great app. Uh, and free and on the web. Amazing. Um, so I showed this to Bill and I was like, hey, Bill, uh, we're getting kind of in the right sort of ballpark. There's a few... Uh, words that don't match up what you got like for example Bill has a character called Simas but I was like hey can I give you Shimas instead how do you feel about this we talked about word final devoicing and how that would work etc and Bill made a call on um, palatalization so the way it's working is that um, any consonant that precedes a high vowel long or short or part of a diphthong will palatalize and Bill was like I like it. So canonically, there's a name Vistan, but under the call that was just made, it would turn into Vistan with a with a palatalized V. Um, canonically, there's a, there's a, a name Arbe, or are yeah, Arbe, and that would turn into Arbe with the B palatalizing because A came from a high consonant. And Bill was like, "That's cool." Um, I'm assuming you're still cool with this, Bill. <laughs> Yes, yes. Yes. And it really gets us those, it gets us those Slavic vibes, which is really good. Mm -hmm. Um, And I personally, given that this is the first time I've tried to reverse engineer someone's work, I think I'm a little bit like in shock and awe that I'm even able to like approximate what you're getting. (laughs) Um, So I'm actually, because there was a period there a few weeks ago where I was like, I can't do this. Like I can't make it all, all fit but I think it's actually going to fit, which is great. So we did that. Uh, then we had to make a call. I'm at a standstill at the moment with, with these changes because I need a bill to make a call on what in the hell clusters are doing. Because again, Slavic, we're going to have a bunch of clusters. So we settled upon this chart here. Again, for the audio people, I'm really sorry. The basic shtick here is that bill wants clusters, number one. Uh, number two, we settled that the rule will be that for the most part, um, the clustering elements in onset position uh, have to be at least one sonority rank removed um, in order for them to work, right? So you wouldn't get a stop clustering with a fricative, hence the gray here, uh, but you can get a stop clustering with a liquid, for example. Okay, uh, we did this uh, to just reduce the amount of possible sounds. That is, the possible sounds would be, um, or the theoretical poss- theoretical possible sounds would be this section here. All right, am I doing okay, Bill? Doing yeah, the- that perfect, perfect, perfect. Okay. Um, we then had a look at. So Bill made a call and was like, "Yes, I would like this this set to be fairly small." So we settled upon uh, this this version of the sonority hierarchy. Um, I then uh, went through with Bill on the yellow cells here, which are canonical sounds. So ska, sma, uh, sva, dva, because W turns into V later, kra, um, the debatable shren, which we talked about, but we won't go through that again. Uh, all of these sounds, we were like, hey, we need to extend these into more natural classes. Like there's no point having just ska 
on its own here. So we made we went through all the sounds like systematically, and Bill made calls as to um, which combinations um, he liked. And we've ended up, if I may paraphrase a little bit, by and large, um, any sounds, any sound that fits the sonority hierarchy can couple with a liquid. By and large, there's obviously some gaps here. Um, any sound um, that fits the sonority hierarchy can couple with a glide. Um, again, by and large. And then S is super happy to couple as well, even though it breaks the sonority hierarchy. So we have this one series, the S plus consonant series that goes against the rules and everything else kind of fits with the rules and does so in a very nice manner. I tried to convince Bill that the consonant cluster rum, rum is a bad idea. He was having none of it. I am sad. <laughs> <laughs> Do you still feel this way, Bill? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and listeners or viewers Keep at this stage, if, if you see it, right, like the S stuff, like we had lots of examples of S going on, right? So it's like, there's so much canonical weight that, yeah, okay, we could eat into this anti-sonority sonority hierarchy thing, but there's just an RM hanging out here for no bloody reason. And I don't feel comfortable extending it to like, you know, if we had like Ruf, Ruf, Rufa, or Rusa, or Rdar, it, but or M, I guess we could have Run, Run, like so Rummaiden and Runaiden, but even then, I just, I hate it so much, but it's Bill's Lang, <laughs> it's Bill's Lang, so that's fine. <laughs> uh, um, then that's everything on that bill, isn't it? Did I leave anything on the. Two element clusters, I think that's everything, isn't it? No, I think I think that's it. I think you smashed it, bro. Oh, Jesus, thanks, bro. <laughs> uh, we then went on to make a call about the triple onset clusters because uh, canonically we have Slava, Slavata. Um, again, Bill made a call that we're, what we're going to do here is we're going to have it be um, obstruent. Or no, we're going to have it be fricative. Oh, <gasps> I think we should revisit this. Okay, hold on. Um, what we said was it was going to be fricative liquid V was going to be the sort of pattern. Any three uh, three element clusters in onset position, position have to follow that. So in the in the vein of Slava, so we'd have like Slava or Slava uh, or Frva uh, Fravata, right? And Bill was like, "Cool." Uh, but I just just dawned on me, Bill. Can I can I put this to you? If I move this, let me move this for a second. Uh, are you looking at the, the thing? I am. Um, uh, bear with me here. It just suddenly occurred to me. Let's leave the um, the bratty voice out, out of the way. Uh, we're coupling fricatives with liquid and then V. Uh, we could couple obstruents. Obstruents, by the way, is all stops, affricates, and fricatives, there's like that's a natural class. They're they're okay. called the obstruents. So instead of just limiting the first element to fricatives, we could say all obstruents, and then we get combinations like uh plavata, uh clavata. Oh, clavata. I like that. Yeah, yeah. That's I think we made an error not doing that. Clavata, blavata, clavata, clavata. That sounds in yeah. the right mouthfeel. Um now again, but, much much like before, like uh, something like Dlavata, I would probably say just don't allow that. But in general, are you liking the stops being a, f uh, a first element as well? Yeah, yeah. What, what I'm then, actually looking at here, what I'm I'm not mad about FLV. That's a little F. 
Flavata. Flavata. Fl- yeah, I'm Flavata. not sure I like that. Well, I'll think about it. I'll think about it. <laughs> Again, I'm looking for general tendencies. Yeah. Uh, like, it, it would be... Not as abnormal, but like it's nice to carve into this. So in general, we'll say obstruent liquid V, and then we can come in and be like, not this one, not that one, etc. Um, but we also have with the other liquid, so Pravata. That sounds cool. Pravata. Trovata. Trovata. Kravata. Yeah, that sounds good. Are we liking that? I am. Pravata. Uh, Trovata. Yeah, like... Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we need to we need to do that. So we'll extend that uh, out to. Oh, I I did that really poorly. Sorry. I'll cut this, folks. I'll cut this. I'll cut this. Um, sorry. Gra, ah. and then that goes to uh, Yeah. Sorry, 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 sorry. Bear with me. Bear with me. Uh, and let me just quickly check. I'm not, I'm not going to allow you to do any more than that, okay? Well, and again, we will eat into this, but we're just trying to define classes. So we have uh, obstruent, obstruent plus liquid plus uh, V. And remember V. Oh, and, oh, we didn't do this last time, Bill. Bill, can I share a story with you? Please do. <laughs> okay. There, so you might be like, well, this makes no, well, not that it makes no sense, but it's kind of breaking the whole scenario thing because check it out. Obstruent is here, right? Okay. Yeah. See that? Low, lowly ranked, lowest sonority here, highest sonority here. That's coupling with liquids. That's cool because low jumps to high, but then it's going back to a V, which would be a fricative, right? So mm-hmm. it's kind of like it's breaking it. But here's the fun thing, and part of why naturalism gets you kind of cool results. The V comes from a W. So look, Ooh. we had like a perfect, perfect staircase. Uh, where everything is one step removed, at least, uh, by and large. Um, and then o- only later, through a sound change that we need to make for other reasons, does that impact this three-consonant thing. So you get like a plavata turns into, which would be more kind of sonority. Yeah. Um, turns into plavata. I don't know if that is a big, massive uh, coin or uh, penny-dropping moment, but this is, again, why the naturalism method is so good, because we need to make vint from w or that's a call we've made mm-hmm. but unbeknownst to us it has now led to this ramification of having to have implying that we have to have sonority breaking clusters which i think is just class naturalistic irregularities phil <laughs> are you as excited as i am i'm i'm, I'm enjoying that yeah that's cool <laughs> okay so we did that uh, okay we did that um and just Various other little notes, like for example, the cluster zbata, we spata or spata. We said we'd we'd voice things, so Bill is yeah. allowing zba, zda, zga, which I think is fitting. I like that. Um, right, we did that. Am I missing anything? I don't think I am. I don't think I don't so. Think I am. No. Um, and then we, uh, the final thing we did uh, was. We looked at codas, because again, I need to do this as well. We have, in the language, we have four canonical codas. St, sk, nt, and... Uh, no, sorry, let me do it properly. Ast, uh, ask, ant, and ans. Uh, those are the four canonical codas. And I put it to Bill that... Uh, well, one I asked, do you want 
two element uh, clusters in quarter position or three element. And you said, I'd like three. Much like the to my. Three for the moment. Much to my horror, but that's fine. <laughs> it, and it's not bad. I, it would be terrible. Not terrible. It would be, I would be worried if, say, you said, I only want two onset uh, um, consonants, but three in coda. I'd be a little bit like, nah, pal, let's not do that. <laughs> um, so, and then uh, we established that what we're going to do for the coda is, because codas tend to be more restrictive than onsets, uh, we are just going to extrapolate from the canonical sounds and pull them into natural classes. So, uh, Bill has asked and ask natural to extend that to asp. So fricative with voiceless stop. Um, and I will do up a chart based on that for, for next time. We'll have a look at it. And the same thing with the nasals. So we, we nt is a word, uh, or ant would be a valid word. Or we have devint, devint. That's the actual word, devint. Yeah. Uh, we could easily have devimp would be another mm-hmm. possible coda or devink. Um, based on that so and bill was happy with that with having a less con- a less um full set of coda um clusters and very much in the ilk of what's already been established um that took about 10 minutes to do bill <laughs> the show was a normal length before i stopped i forgot to hit record i don't think there's anything else to to chat about did i forget anything at all i don't think so I don't think so yeah, because again, we lost a lot as we were humming and hawing about various changes. But now that they're done, it's just a case of like saying those changes, basically. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's the show. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what a disaster. What a disaster. Okay, I'm going to uh, kill recording if I can. Oh my God, we have been recording. So officially, according to my count, we've only been recording for one hour and 10 minutes. (laughs) Yeah, I've got about that as well. Slightly under. I'm so sorry, folks. It was going to be a full hour and a half show, but I messed up. And we even beforehand, we were like, oh, there's so much to do with all the figuring out how clusters work. We can't possibly do a green room. So we we don't have anything for green room. Um... So it is literally just an hour show, and it's all my fault. Please shout at me in comments in all caps. I, I know I will. <laughs> I expect it, Bill. I expect it. Um, so, yeah, that is the show. Uh, slightly less chaotic next time, hopefully. Um, thank you for watching, folks. Thank you for supporting the show. Yeah, have a great one. And until next time, Edgar, Edgar out. out.